0: It's not like any other podcast coming to you straight from Eastern Iowa, where apartment ownership and investing is told like it is. It's time for Darren Garman's Apartment Specialist Podcast. Hold on, because here comes the next episode of the Apartment Specialist Podcast. So hey there everybody, Darren Garman here. And before we jump into this week's podcast, uh, just a reminder to keep your eyes and ears open. For our September Investor Summit and Property Tour. That's right, the September Investor Summit, Multifamily Investor Summit and Property Tour. Uh, we will be doing this in September. Uh, many of you have asked about when we're doing this. Uh, and uh, it's coming up in September. So Keep your eyes and ears open. We are locking in days and times, and we'll have that finalized here very soon. But uh, especially for those of you that have asked about this, uh, September will be our Multifamily Investor Summit and Property Tour, and it will be like no other. It will be great. So. Again, keep your eyes and ears open for the formal announcement. It will be coming here very, very soon. Okay, let's jump into the podcast for this week. And it has to do with prison. That's right, prison. Now, uh, before I jump into the uh, information in terms of why i quit my job at the prison many of you that have been with me for a long time know the story uh, there will be some of you that are wondering what frankly what in the hell am i talking about prison and you left there and what what do you, what, do you, what do you mean so let me start uh, before we jump into uh, what i really want to cover in terms of quitting my job at the prison Let's jump into a little history. And so I'm gonna take you back to 1989, 1989. And uh, so I quit my, um, uh, excuse me, I graduated. I did graduate, I didn't quit. Uh, I graduated from the University of Northern Iowa with a bachelor's degree in criminology. And so I literally thought I mean, this is how naive I was. I literally thought I would be graduating from college, diploma in hand, and having all of the drama and excitement that you see in all these TV shows. You know, CSI, FBI this. I mean, you can name a dozen law enforcement shows where everything is so dramatic. The good guys always win. And, um, uh, and most every time, everything works out great and dramatic and fun and all that stuff. I literally thought that's what I was in for, uh, as a criminology major. That's the life I thought I was going to have. And so when I graduated, uh, I did not do any because, you know, I'm such a smart guy and, uh, who wouldn't want to hire me and why wouldn't I be jumping into those kinds of fantasy at, at the time, you know, which I really didn't think was a fantasy at the time. Those kinds of fantasy, TV, show, movie, uh, drama series, kind of roles. So I mean, I'm just going to jump into that right away, and I literally thought I was going to. So I did no preparatory work before I graduated. So I didn't do any kind of work experience. I didn't do anything like that. I just took you know, we took my classes. Uh, played football, and graduated. And so there I am after graduation thinking, I'm going to have all of these agencies, uh, law enforcement agencies, both local, state, and federal, okay, want to hire me. Right? Why wouldn't they? Matter of fact, I'm surprised they haven't contacted me yet. And so... It took about three weeks for me to figure out what the real world was like after I graduated. Uh, Not what the world was that I thought it was, uh, but what the real world was. And at the end of the day, what I found out was the real world could give a crap about me, (laughs) number one. Uh, Number two, if you want to actually have a job or any kind of career in the criminology slash law enforcement profession you're going to actually have to start at the bottom of the ladder okay not the top you don't just get out of school and then stop start at the top of the ladder even though naively i thought if not the top like kind of close right because i mean i'm a smart college graduate well why wouldn't i i mean i mean that's just how naive i was so i discovered those two things and then I discovered uh, economics, which uh, which really equates to, well, now how in the hell am I going to make money here? Um, I've graduated. Now what I've got? I'm renting an apartment. Uh, Gina and I, when we graduated, we graduated in May of uh, 1989. Gina and I got married in June. And so, uh, you know, we find ourselves. Uh, her working at, a Hallmark store in the mall, and me unloading trucks at Walmart. That was my real, my first real job out of college that I was really, where I was really working, um, was unloading trucks at Walmart uh, while I was working on my criminology career. Of course, the career I thought would be, you know, very dramatic and exciting and all that. So that's Gene and I, and we discovered right away uh, making just a little bit more than minimum wage. Uh, even when you're renting an apartment and you don't have a lot of expenses. I mean, we didn't have pets and, you know, of course you didn't have kids at the time and, and all that kind of stuff. You, it's still not easy. Uh, so we, I definitely discovered what economics was all about. And so now I'm taking, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in a scramble now. So after three weeks of, you know, have basically almost like having cold water thrown on, your, on you. I mean, that's pretty much what it felt like. Um I'm thinking, you know, holy shit, I got to get a job here. I mean, I got to get a job. I got to work my ass off to get a job and I got to start somewhere. Uh So I took about every law enforcement test for you name it. CIA, FBI, Bureau of Prisons, Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms. Um, state patrol, uh, local police, big city police, small city police, other highway patrols in other states. I mean, I'm driving all over the place. And the funny thing is, it's just it's kind of comical thinking about it. So this is all taking place in the summer. So basically this time of year, like July, August. And you know, we have no money. And so I'm driving this broken down car, <clears throat> That the air conditioning doesn't work in it, so I would literally go to these testings and these interviews in shorts. That's it. So I drive in shorts, all the windows down, and then prior to arriving at the testing site, whether it was maybe, I mean, they had a testing site somewhere, um, various places depending on what agency you were, you know, you were testing at. I mean, I'd find a restroom at a convenience store, or back then we called them gas stations. Uh, I found restroom to change into something more formal before, you know, having the tests. And uh, it was a treat when I had a car and Gina had a car when I could actually drive uh, the other car that actually had air conditioning where I didn't have to do that. Um, so I'm driving all over the place. I'm all over every state surrounding Iowa. I'm all over Iowa. And so I finally get to a third round of interviews at a, uh, uh, and this was as a police officer, okay? So now I'm thinking of finally, I'm finally gonna get in here. And before the final round of, um, uh, uh, final interview, the final interview round, they did more thorough eye testing. And uh, that eye testing revealed that I had a pretty Serious colorblindness problem. Now, before that, uh, I mean, I always knew I had some kind of an issue going on. And for those of you that aren't colorblind and and, and kind of wonder what it's like, I mean, it's basically like, um, because a lot of people think you don't see color. No, you see color. So colorblindness does not mean you don't see color, because you do. So I can see every color, any person that's not colorblind can see. But it's, it's as if the brain can't, uh, uh, can't translate what color it is. That's the problem. So I can look at a lot of colors and I'll get it wrong. Okay, so I'll know, I'll know that color is a different color, but I might say it's purple and it's really blue or green. I might say it's green and it's really red. I mean, and and by the way, it's not as if you get every color wrong. I mean, there's easy ones. I mean, a bright yellow car, I know a bright yellow car, that's pretty easy. But when you get into uh, different shades and when colors are together, uh, that's where it really poses a problem for most folks that are colorblind. So again, it's not as if you don't actually see the colors. It's not as if you're seeing everything one color, like all gray. No, you see all the colors. But it's, it's 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 as if your brain can't tell you what color it is. How I explained it to a um, a friend of mine the other day, it's like looking at the alphabet, and you know all the letters are different, but you don't know the letter A from the letter Z. They just look like letters. They're all different letters. You just don't know what letters they are. It's kind of the same thing. So uh, you know, back to the story. So I find out that I um, uh, I'm colorblind, and so they don't want anything to do with me after that. Not only does that have repercussions there, it's like, okay, now what am I going to do? So what kind of a criminology law enforcement place is going to hire me? What what am I going to do? Um, So out of desperation, I go to a place called Job Service of Iowa. And that's not what it's called now. I think it's called uh, Job Something. But Job Service of Iowa at the time was basically a place where if you can't find a job anywhere, you're down on your luck. Um, it's like the last place in town. Just to, 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 it's the last thing you can you can go to in desperate. I mean, that's kind of what it was. So I go there looking for some kind of a job. Hopefully, um, that would have something to do with criminology or law enforcement. Well, I'll be darned. There was something posted there and something available through the Job Service of Iowa, and it was a position by the title of correctional officer. That's prison guard, by the way. That's what that means. Um, And so I see the posting. I am unloading trucks at Walmart. I have a colorblindness problem. And I pretty much um, knew that finding any kind of a job in this field was going to be pretty damn hard. So I looked into whether or not the color blindness is gonna be a problem, thank goodness it wasn't. So long story short, I applied, interviewed, and I started working at the Iowa Men's Reformatory Prison. At the time, and this would have been 1989, it was a medium security prison in, the, in, in Iowa, um, basically in the Northeast part of Iowa, in a town by the name of Anamosa. So, feel free to Google Iowa Men's Reformatory. You'll see all the information there is on it, history, and, you know, there's actually some pretty cool things about the place because it's so old and how it was built and all that. But anyway, so that's where I started working. And so, I'm not going to go over on this podcast my day to day um, uh, uh, work, um, things that I was involved in. It's really actually a really good podcast for another time because you wouldn't believe the things you run into working in a prison, um, and it's actually going to be another podcast that I'll have, you know, my adventures inside the prison because it's it's unbelievable. Uh, got lots of stories, but we'll save those for another time. But I wanna talk about, you know, as, so I'm, I'm basically working in the department, for the department of Corrections from basically 1989 through 1992, so for about three years. And so it took me about three years to realize that, there's nothing wrong with a career in the correctional world. There's nothing wrong with the people working in the correctional world. And there's nothing wrong working in this kind of position um, and actually trying to work your way up in that world. There's nothing wrong with that at all. However, I realized after about a year that it was not what I wanted to do. So I couldn't see myself working in that environment with, the, with inmates day to day and working with all of the um, different kinds of things you deal with in that environment. I couldn't see myself doing that every day. Um, but what am I going to do? So I went through about, and I'd say about six to eight months of you know, being one of those people that didn't really like their job, but got up and kind of forced themselves to go and, and, and work that job just because it's like the only thing they knew. And that would, that was basically me at the time. Uh, so one day I'm in the, um, I'm in my office. I had an office where I oversaw some inmate leisure time activity programs. And, uh, and, and so I had a um, phone call from the security supervisor of that particular shift wanted me to come and have a conversation with him. So I go and I have a, I sit go into his office, sit down. I'm kind of wondering what's going on. Well, evidently they find uh, one of the security officers or, or prison guards the night before found an empty liquor bottle outside of the office that I worked at for a few days during the week running these inmate leisure time activity programs. And of course, since it's sitting outside my office, I certainly knew of this and probably had something to do with it, right? Well, of course, that's what they thought, but I can tell you, um, and I'll take a polygraph any day, any time on this, uh, I had nothing to do with it, I had no idea how it got there and had no idea what they were talking about. However, for about you know four or five days, uh, I'm called into the office like once a day, I'm asked another 15 to 20 questions. Then I go, then they bring me back again and they ask me kind of the same questions but it's almost like they were trying to catch me in some kind of a lie. Um, so this was, I was getting really pissed off about this. Uh, I mean, I understood they got to go through their investigations and all that about who would have brought contraband, you know, who would have brought liquor into the prison in order for an inmate or inmates to, you know, have a little bit of fun. You know, and it's not so much that they bring the liquor in the prison. The thing that the security folks are concerned about is how did it happen? You know, where's our gaps in our security? Could this turn into a bigger problem? I mean, you, you see where I'm going with that, right? And I get I get that. I totally get it. Um, so once this has kind of died down a little bit, uh, one of the things you do when these things come up is you have a final... Um, put this thing to rest, meeting with the warden, okay? So I'm waiting outside the warden's office to have a meeting with them. So I'm sitting there, and if there's one thing there's a ton of or in prison, it's books. So about everywhere you go, there's a bookshelf with books on it, even in the warden's office. So I'm sitting outside the warden's office, there's a bookshelf there with books. So I'm waiting, he's on the phone talking to somebody, and, and um, I decided to go over to the bookshelf. So I see this book with the title of Think and Grow Rich on it, okay? Hmm, sounds like an interesting book. So I pick it out of the shelf. I start reading it. Uh, read a couple, Read. I get into it about a chapter before the warden calls me in and we have our meeting and, I mean, nothing was really discussed other than, you know, Darren, thanks for your patience. Thanks for working with us. You know, we obviously feel you had nothing to do with it, but thank you, thank you. We look for bigger, better things out of you, that kind of thing. And so I leave the meeting. Uh, but I left with the book. Um, I took the book home. It took me about a week to read it. And I decided right then and there, after I read it, that I'm going to get into the real estate business. Uh, I didn't know anything about it. Uh, only, uh, the only experience I ever had in real estate, especially multifamily property, was I lived in an apartment. I lived in, a, I lived in an apartment uh, when I graduated high school. Excuse me. When I graduated college, uh, I lived in an apartment. That's my only experience. But I thought I could do a really good job at it, and I thought I could uh, enjoy it, and I thought I could help a lot of people by being in the multifamily real estate business. Uh, so with no no training, no nothing, uh, you know, it took me it took me a couple of months to. You know, work up the nerve to finally quit. You know, I mean, it was scary, and of course, we had Madison at the time. Gina and I had our first our first child, Madison, who would have been maybe a little over a year or about a year old at the time. And I mean, you talk about scary. So you've got you've got a child. Um, one spouse is going to quit. And really get into a business where there is no income coming in until you actually make something happen. And oh, by the way, you don't know a damn thing about the business. And so the idea of you making something happen soon is, is probably out of the question. And so you had a lot of those things going on. So I quit. And uh, it took me about, like I said, it took me about three months. And um, so I finally quit and jumped into the real estate business full time in the world of multifamily real estate. So, it's kind of a sidebar, and I'll tell you why I quit quit my job here in just a minute uh, at the prison. Uh, and, And I'm going to go into a lot of detail about that because it has a lot to do with investing in a big way. And it's funny how a lot of what I'm going to talk to you about parallels investing, and what you see and what you find based on the reasons that I quit. Uh, what I found out and what I was dealing with during the time I was thinking of and working on quitting and getting into the multifamily investment real estate world. And so we'll cover some of those things. Um, But when I quit and I jumped into the real estate business, um, I just got lucky, frankly, by choosing multifamily real estate. Uh, A lot of times when I'm sitting around talking to people about this, you know, they, they seem to think I had some kind of a strategy at the time or some foresight in getting involved in the multifamily real estate business. And that's definitely not the case. Uh, the only reason I did was because it was two reasons. One, I had a little experience in that. I never sold a house. I mean, I never had an open house or sold a house as like a real estate agent. I, I never flipped a house. I don't know what that was about, but I've lived in an, I've lived in an apartment property, a multifamily community. And number two, I didn't think many other people were doing it. And for some reason, I thought that would be an advantage. I didn't really want to jump into something where there's 900 other people just like doing the same thing, saying the same thing, trying to get the same business. I didn't think that was a good idea. Um, So that's why I chose multifamily. And, you know, jumped into the multifamily world uh, with nothing. And um, and so you fast forward to today, and I am the most trusted multifamily expert in the heartland of America. Arguably, you could say that in the nation. Uh, I mean, you may have a few people say, "Oh, wait a minute, no, I know this guy and that guy," uh, but I'm at least top five, easily top five. Um, and so you know, going from prison guard, uh, who had no idea about multifamily real estate uh, and investing in multifamily real estate to being one of the top go-to guys in the nation is is a pretty damn big leap. And, uh, and so let's talk about that. All right, let's talk about why I quit my job because I think this has a lot of parallels maybe with what you've been thinking. And this isn't so much talking to you about whatever I mean, maybe you're not happy with your career or with what you're doing. That's not necessarily what I'm trying to do here. But there's some really there's some really interesting parallels between this and investing, and being a successful investor, a more successful investor, and ultimately, really reaching your potential as an investor. Okay. So number one, the first reason I quit was because I realized it wasn't working out. Okay. I realized it really wasn't working out. Now. Um, I could have stayed, I could still, I could probably be a warden of a prison right now, or maybe even oversee the Iowa Department of Corrections. I don't know, maybe. But I didn't like what I was doing. I didn't like what was going on. And and it wasn't as if I hated it. I was kind of just putting up with it, right? So putting up with it. And month after month, putting up with it, This goes on for two, three years. I'm putting up with it until I finally just said to myself, how long am I going to put up with this? How long am I going to put up with this before I make a change into something that I will like doing, something that I will enjoy, something that I will look forward to? I mean, and it's surprising what I just mentioned sounds so easy, but so many people don't do it. I mean, there's a lot of reasons probably why they don't. But a lot of people don't even get past that. Uh, And I don't frankly know how I got past that, but I did. Um, Thank goodness. Thank goodness. But, you know, you parallel this to investing. And I run into people all the time that want to talk to me about the investment that they're involved in, the deal they're involved in, the situation they're involved in. And it's not just invest, sometimes it's owning a business or businesses and doing those, you know, doing that kind of thing. And how they don't like it, they're tired of it, but they just go through the motions just because. And I find this happens in investing a lot. And at the end of the day, the reason why that is, is it's a lot easier to do nothing and think about doing something Versus actually doing something. And that's where I was. I was stuck for two and a half years not doing anything. I thought about doing something, kind of made some plans about doing something, uh, spent some time here and there thinking about it, working on it, and it actually thought I was doing something, but at the end of the day, I wasn't doing anything other than going through the same motions day after day, month after month, until I realized. There is something that's better, all right? Did I know it as for sure? Hell no. Was it a guarantee? No, but there was something better. And I mean, I just think if I wouldn't have pulled the trigger and did that, where I would be today, and I wouldn't be in a bad place, but I sure as hell wouldn't be where I am today. And I see that with a lot of investors. You know, there's no guarantee, for example, that multifamily real estate is going to be the absolutely best investment you've ever been involved in. Okay, You don't know that. You don't know that. Uh, Of course, I think it will be. Of course, my opinion is it definitely would be. Hell yes. But in your eyes, in your mind, to your specifications, is that a guarantee? No. Right, and if a lot of us don't have that for sure, that guarantee, that hell yeah, it's going to be, then we just don't want to take the time, effort, and energy to really do anything. When at the end of the day, if you did, um, it, it'd be amazing how much better off you would be investment-wise. Uh, you know, the number one regret with my current investment. Uh, Owners and partners that I hear from them. There's actually two. Uh, There's two, and and these are like 50 50. But these are what I hear 90% of the time. Number one, I should have invested in something bigger. In other words, I should have invested more money or I should have invested in a bigger property or bigger multifamily community. That's number one. But number two is I should have done this sooner. What the hell was I thinking? I should have done this sooner. I should have done this a long time ago. I hear that all the time. And it's because of what I'm talking about here on why it takes so long. And, you know, you don't want to have these kind of regrets, folks. You don't. Um, I mean, you're literally leaving money on the table with these kind of regrets hanging out there. Uh, and so there's no guarantees. There's no for sure's. But there sure as hell is an unbelievable potential for there to be that, to be that kind of investment that will turn into more than likely the best investment you've ever been involved in. Is that guaranteed? No. Are any promises made? Hell no. But is that potential there? Yeah. And that's really a good segue into the second reason I quit my job at the prison. I knew I had more potential. Um, I knew I had more potential and I realized that once I got out of school and by school, I mean college, once I started, uh, once I was married, once I really matured. And and by the way, I'm not saying I matured an unbelievable amount within two to three years after I graduated college and got married. I mean, I'm I'm still maturing today. So that's not the impression I want to leave you, but I did make a pretty big leap in maturity. And the one thing I really wanted to do, and I didn't think that working at the prison was going to do that for me, was really get up every day and know that I'm working to my fullest potential, right? Um, Because I mean, I thought, why in the hell would I work these hours? Oh, by the way, like my days off there. Started out as Monday, Tuesday. So my weekend at the prison was not Saturday, Sunday, but Monday, Tuesday. Um, second shift. And a little later, I got Sunday, Mondays off, which was a little bit better, but still not like a real weekend. And so I'm thinking, why would I want to be working these hours, be subject to working overnight sometimes, and um, if, I'm not, if this is not going to push me to reach my full potential, why in the hell would I do that? And at first, it was just kind of a little thought, a small thought I had uh, once in a while. Until after about a year, it became almost the only thing I thought about. I mean, you ask Gina, she'd say, she'd tell you, I mean, he drove me crazy. I mean, he's coming home from work and he's talking about all these other things he thinks he wants to do. And the next day before work, he's talking about this, but, and it wasn't as if I hated the job, but I just knew that I had more potential, and there was a hell of a lot more potential inside me than I was tapping, and I wasn't going to be able to do it working at the prison. Uh, I think I drove her crazy until, you know, I I think she finally, um, you know, said that, she would, I mean, she would support me in whatever I would, would have decided or whatever we would have done. But it wasn't as if I, to, I told her, you know, on a Monday, I want to quit my job. And that same day, she said, sure, go ahead. Sounds like a great idea. I mean, this took a while to, you know, think about and process and and, and make some decisions on as a married, you know, as a married man and woman. So... Um, but she'd probably tell you, you know, she probably relented because it's all I was freaking talking about (laughs) was, was this, I mean, that had to be part of it. And, and, and that's kind of the same with what I see investors doing. So there's so much potential in other places, uh, other than a bank CD, for example, a money market fund, a zero coupon bond, um, many mutual funds. Uh, And I could go on and on and on with other investment alternatives. And if there's anywhere where there's more potential than almost any other investment, in addition to being able to see this happening right in front of you right now, right before your eyes, you're seeing this right now, folks. You're seeing more and more people Wanting to, looking forward to, and in some cases, they have to, rent versus own. Okay. You see this happening right now. This isn't like something I'm making up. This isn't like witchcraft here. I mean, this isn't hocus pocus stuff. This is going on. This isn't fake news or fake science. This is going on right now. Right? I mean, it's happening now. So where is the potential? Is it, you know, on that four-year 2.3% bank CD or credit union? It might be a little more with the credit union CD you got. Um, and I would argue, even against some of the high-flying tech companies, especially now because the market is so high right now, and especially because of all the economic and political things going on right now, the real potential... Is in multifamily. And it's happening right in front of us right now. I mean, there's no secret formulas here. You know, there's no secrets. This is happening right now. And so it's kind of like the potential is right in front of you. But obviously, the potential doesn't come and pick you up and set you down in its potential. You've got to do something. You've got to take action, right? And that's what I decided to do is I knew my potential was outside of what I was doing and where I was. And I decided to um, take action. And um, it was the best decision I ever made. Uh, So then there's the third decision. And I'll leave you with this final decision. I mean, there's other ones, but these are the top three. This other one is a biggie for many of you. It was a big one for me. And frankly, it's one of the reasons why it took me a little longer to finally quit that job at the prison and jump into the multifamily real estate world than I probably would have. And by the way, it's not because Gina didn't want me to. That's not the reason. Because I'll tell people that and they'll say, oh, it's because Gina didn't want you to. And you guys, no, that's not it not it I'll tell you the reason and it's because I was worried about what other people would say I was worried about the flack I would get especially from my relatives on making that decision so I want you to think about this so you are you're my wife's parents so you're Gina's parents who are you know multi-generation farmers Okay, And your daughter's married this guy. You've just graduated college. You both now have your really first full-time career jobs. You've just had a baby. And then you hear that uh, your son-in-law has decided to quit his job and jump into a business where there's no guarantee of any income whatsoever. How do you feel about that right now? (laughs) How do you feel about that? (laughs) I can tell you, you don't feel very good uh, because I heard about it. I heard about it. And I wasn't so necessarily concerned about what my relatives thought. And if you know my story at all, you know why that's the case. Um, But I was concerned about what my friends would think, what my relatives would think, especially if I failed, right? Especially if this didn't work out and I came out of it looking like a complete freaking idiot. That's what I was concerned about. I was afraid. I was afraid of what people would say. And I was afraid that if I did not get it done, that, wow, now I was really afraid of what they would say. Um, a matter of fact, I remember I was at a uh Thanksgiving Thanksgiving get together Thanksgiving dinner get together at one of Gina's relatives. And this was the same year I quit the job. So I had just gotten into the real estate business, multifamily business that summer and it's like the file, fo- I mean it's that year, it's Thanksgiving, right? And so I'm being peppered by the relatives about how all this is going. And the insinuations about what kind of a dumb decision. Now nobody ever came out and said I was an idiot. No one ever said you're being stupid. But you could read between the lines where they're basically trying to tell me, dude, you need to get back to work at the at the prison or back into your into your field that you went to school for, buddy. You're 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 just being an idiot going down this road now nobody said that to me but you could read between the lines that that's what's what was going on and you know i told one guy which was an uncle of gina's you know what i planned on doing and you know how much real estate we plant we would own at some point in time and the guy laughed at me and you know thought i was crazy um and that doesn't help and so if you think about it A lot of what people will say, a lot of the outside kind of peer pressure things is a reason why a lot of investors don't change their course too. What's my broker going to say when I call him or her and say, yeah, I'm gonna move some money over here. I'm gonna take some money out of the market and move it up. Whoa, wait a minute. Whoa, you gotta be an idiot. We're afraid of what they're going to say. Friends, coworkers, Especially those that maybe you know, maybe you're part of an investment club or something. What do you do? You got to you got to be kidding. you're going into real estate, especially when you tell people that you're going to be investing and putting money into a multifamily apartment community or communities. Because now you know what you'll start hearing, and what I you know what I started hearing when I told people this is what I'm going to do, I heard all the horror stories and all the myths, right? And I'll actually have a podcast one of these days about all these damn myths that are out there but i kept hearing the myths, right? like uh, oh boy, you're going to be you're going to be in big viction court all the time. They're going to take your money and they're going to trash the place and you're going to have to make fix this and you're going to be called late at night. I mean, you got we've all heard the stories, right? And those well that's all i started to hear. Well, you will too. <laughs> you mentioned to anybody? Yeah, i think i'm going to take some money out of the market and uh, Put it into this 130-unit apartment community. You know what you're going to hear. All of the damn myths and all the bullshit that I heard. Uh, And it makes you think, though. Wait a minute. Maybe this isn't such a good idea. Maybe not. And the worst comes from relatives. Right? That's where the worst of it comes from. Um, Especially the older relatives. uh, Who are... You know, supposedly in the family uh, hierarchy, you know, the wise and have experience. You'll hear all kind of bullshit from them too. And that's, the main, that's one of the reasons why uh, a lot of investors don't put more money, more emphasis in getting into more, owning more multifamily real estate is because of that. I mean, they see what's going on right in their own marketplace. They see what's happening out there. They know what I'm talking about. They understand, but God, what would they say? You know, what's this person going to say? Or what are they going to think? And then, like me, if I get into a community, let's say it doesn't work out. Oh my God, now what are they going to think? What are they going to say, right? Um, it's just overthinking the crap out of it, just like I did. And it really delayed me in making one of the best decisions I've ever made. Right, and I got—I know many of you listening are on the same page as me with this. I know you are. Hell, I talk to you every day. So, uh, there were other reasons why I, you know, quit my job at the prison. But you know, we—we we all have reasons for doing things and not doing things. And what I've gone over here was really, this was a life-altering thing for me at the time. I look back on it now, of course. Yeah, thank God I did it. Thank God all this happened. Um, you know, thank God I had the support of my wife and, and, all that, and all that kind of stuff. But at the time, it was like the most earth-shattering, devastating thing. Potentially devastating decision with all kinds of unbelievable ramifications. I would ever make. I look back on it now. I'm like, God, what the hell was a big deal with you back then, man? I mean, you should have done it before then, right? But I mean, we know how that goes. So, you know, I'm I'm just saying, in many of you listening, are having the same kind of dilemma when it comes to investing. I know you are, because I talk to you and the time you finally break out of this and get into whether you whether it's more investment in a multifamily community or your first one it's time to do it the time is now to do this and by the way if it's with me as one of my partners and you invest in one of our uh, conservative multifamily Communities here in the heartland. I mean, great. We'd love to have you aboard and you can join, you know, hundreds and hundreds of other investors that have um, gotten involved with us. It'd be great to have you. But it, I mean, look, it doesn't have to be. There are other ways of doing this. Uh, but just really look at where you're at, what you're doing, and the decision process you're going through and ask yourself is this really the way I'm going to reach my highest and best potential as an investor, doing what I'm doing now, listening to the voices in my head and making the decisions based on that, okay? Uh, Because if if you go through this process in the same manner that I did when I went and quit my job at the prison, you're going to be having different thoughts, And at the end of the day, different results, a hell of a lot. (laughs) I'm telling you, big, big time, different results by going through this process and taking action. Okay. And so look, I hope this week's podcast has been informational for you. I hope it's gotten you to think a little bit about your current situation, what you're doing, what you're up to. And maybe it's not even about investing. Maybe it's something else you know, maybe there's some corollaries here for you that I've covered and hopefully I have at least gotten you to think a little bit about your process, what you're doing, what you're going through, and the decisions that you will make here in the future and how you will make them. I look forward to hearing your questions and your comments from this week's podcast. Get in touch with me, love to hear from you. And again, before I forget, Keep your eyes open for our September investment summit, our multifamily investment summit in September and property tour. You will be glad that you joined us. All right, have a great day. Have a great week and weekend. We will talk to you later. See ya, bye-bye. Thanks for joining the Apartment Specialist Podcast. For investment questions, comments, or to get in touch with Darren, go to www.heartlandinvestmentrealestate.com.